Welcome to the Summer's Time Podcast. This episode is part of a special series. Throughout this time of social distancing and isolation in our home, we've had a lot of discussions around what's happening at the proverbial front lines of COVID-19. There's what you read on social media and what you hear in the news, but we really felt compelled to connect with individuals on a few specific areas that kept surfacing in our conversations. So in this series, we are taking time after putting the kids to bed to hold late night phone conversations with people on specific topics to better understand what they are up against, how we can help support them, and to have them help answer some of our most burning questions. The most obvious topic to begin with is healthcare. So we are kicking off the series by interviewing a physician in Pennsylvania. We hope you learn as much as we did. And as always, send us your thoughts on the show and be sure to share with your network. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Emily. And we're, we're the, the Summers, Summers family. family. She works in an office. And he runs the home. Together, we're raising our four kids with an emphasis on family, adventure, and the arts. Welcome to the Summers Time Podcast. We are so excited to introduce our guest, Jeff Lappin, who comes to us from Pennsylvania, just outside Philly. Um, he is a family physician, and we were really anxious to speak with him to hear how things are going um, in his region and what he is facing. Um, he has a wife and three young children, so we're also curious as a physician what he's doing to help protect his family and what we can learn from him. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about it and uh and uh, learn some some things and go over some things about the uh, current crisis. Thank Great. you. So can you give us a little bit more background about the patients that you see and uh, your your line of profession? Sure. So um, I'm a family physician about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Philadelphia and about an hour and a half uh, south of New York City. So we're in the in the suburbs primarily of, of Philadelphia. And I have a two-location practice servicing about seventeen to 18,000 uh, people. We have six physicians and four extenders, which are uh, physician assistants or nurse practitioners in our practice. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that's what... That's a lot. Yeah, that's, a, that's significant. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are seeing in your region and... Um, you know, how things are going in your area. And uh, I guess, frankly, a little bit of, um, you're not in a hospital setting, don't believe, but, you know, from your perspective, how it is on the front lines of being a healthcare provider. Sure. So um, we're, we're located in, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is right next to uh, Montgomery County, which was one of the initial uh, areas of, of outbreak on the, on the East Coast. And so from about four or five weeks ago, we started some pretty intensive uh, screening process in, in, in our practice and had to kind of deal with the questions of what are we going to do as this transitions from something that's on the other side of the globe to the other side of the country to the other side of the county and then to our, our front door. So we started initiating some pretty significant uh, screening process with the help of the local health department. And we were able to basically, with a, with a few questions, mostly based upon 
uh, symptoms such as uh, cough, fever, shortness of breath, and um, contacts with anybody who has tested positive or travel to um, concerning areas, which initially were, you know, China and, and, and Italy, and then transitioned to some parts of, of the U.S., and then have even transitioned lately to include New York, uh, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So the initially we uh, went through the process of screening the people who were calling in who were complaining of some respiratory symptoms, and if they met the uh, criteria for being high risk, we would we would send those over to the health department to be tested. If they didn't meet the criteria for the uh, health department to test them, then what we had done is transitioned one of our offices into being a respiratory a respiratory illness evaluation office, and the other office maintained a well visit office so that we were able to separate them them out and take care of the patients who were low risk, but still we didn't want to put any of our uh, well patients who were coming in who may be immunocompromised uh, into the same waiting room or anything like that. And um, we were able to service both both parts of our practice, the, the well and the, and the sick in, in that way. So we went through that process and uh, for the most part, we're, we're mostly just you know, screening a handful of people and sending them over to the health, health department. And then over the last two weeks, as it spread throughout the, uh, the Northeast region and, and started to affect more and more of our, our local community, we've been sending more and more people for, for testing um, and then taking care, continue to take care of the patients in, in our office. So initially it was, it was primarily screening and to, and to this point, it still is for, for us being an outpatient community, uh, practice. It, it primarily is screening and trying to get the patients, the support and services they need as they develop any, any symptoms, but it is starting to transition into uh, servicing and taking care of patients who have symptoms who may or may not be um, COVID positive at this point. Based on that, how are the uh, healthcare workers in your area holding up? I mean, you said you've got about sixteen or 17,000 potential patients. You guys are obviously seeing a lot of people. How are you all holding up? Yeah, so the recently over the last week or so, we've started seeing a little bit of, a, of an influx of patients into the emergency room and the hospital with uh, significant respiratory symptoms, and and um, they're being tested and, and evaluated and, and treated, um, but the testing process still takes takes a few days, and um, it's it it doesn't tend to be at least in our area and and I don't know what it's it's like in in other areas of the country but in our area specifically it hasn't been this tidal wave of of patients into the emergency room it's been more of a um, a swelling of screening and and trying to screen as many people as as we can with which has been difficult with the uh, limited number and access to testing. But what we're seeing is as these diagnosis numbers go up, it's, it's not as much the emergency room filling up with, with a lot of these sick people. It's they're filling up with severely ill and rapidly progressing um, patients. So the, the, the hospital itself doesn't tend to be full at this point with the with the treatment um it's the icu beds and the severely ill uh locations in the hospital and the ventilators that you hear so much about on 
on the uh, TV and, and radio as far as needing access to those. And, and so far, our area is, is doing well in that area. But the, the radically, or I'm sorry, the, um, the uh, rapidly progressing illness and severe respiratory illness that these patients are experiencing is, is traumatizing to the, to the staff in, in the hospital. And, and those are the stories we're starting to hear coming out of the, of, of the hospital is um, the patients are, are really sick and the staff are just doing an amazing job being able to take care of them and, and support their needs. But there's a lot of, of needs and, and they are really uh, rapidly progressing and, and getting very, very sick. Is there anything that you would suggest that the community can do to support healthcare workers? I've seen a few things online, like um, sending food, and certainly there's a lot going around about different organizations or even families making masks um, and sending them to healthcare workers. Right. And is is there anything from your perspective that the community can do to support stay at home? Obviously, it would probably be number one. Socially distance, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, you know, the staying at home and the socially distancing and, and following all the recommendations that are coming out from the CDC and the health department as far as washing your hands and, and avoiding gatherings and, and really respecting everybody's um, social space. But, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I've, I've seen from this and, and one of my biggest takeaways from this has been the many different layers this has and the way it's affecting people. And, um, you know, it's not just a healthcare issue. It's the, it's the, um, the way it's affecting the economy, the way it's affecting jobs, the way it's affecting families, the way it's affecting education. Um, I think that there's, this is just because it's nationwide and, and the way it's affected all the different parts of our, um, our community, it, it, it's really come at us in a way that we've we've never seen before and i and i think that what i'm seeing from a lot of the healthcare workers is you have that concern about well what am i doing what am i going to do when i come face to face with somebody who has this you know this illness and and you know obviously we're going to do our best to help them and treat them and then what does that look like afterwards did i do the right things as far as wearing the right protective uh, gear and and did I use the right pro procedures and 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 all that stuff? Because at the end of the day, those um, workers have to have to figure out: is it safe to go home? Am I able to go back to the to the house and and you know see my family and hug my family without worrying about them getting sick? So so that weighs on them. But I think the other part that's weighing on a lot of of people is the the economic part of it as well. A lot of the healthcare industry because of the fear of going to the hospital and going to the uh, doctor's offices for the, for the well patients, it's prevented a real drop-off in, in patient visits, which has really affected the economical side of the, the practices in the community, as well as the practices in the hospital, and as well as the hospitals themselves, which is, which is really um, have been a struggle for a lot of people in, in this industry over the last few weeks. And it's good to see that um, hopefully there's some help coming their way with the, the new um, packages that have been passed by, um, by the government over the last uh, few days to, to give them some assistance. And then after, on top of the economical concerns, you have the, the family concerns of um, the kids staying home and, and the stresses that puts on your spouse at home and yourself when you get home. 
and that just adds a whole nother layer to the to the stress of of these you know these these frontline workers as the, as they try to take care of these patients. I think the economical piece of it is such a little known fact right now that hospitals, physicians, offices, surgery centers, etc., their whole business model has been flipped upside down and the natural inclination is to think, oh, there's a surge of people. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a wave coming through and that that would be I mean, not to minimize the health aspect of it, but from a financial perspective that these organizations would be sound. But um, in fact, the whole model has been shifted and not necessarily in a positive way, you know, from with revenue streams. So that's a really interesting point on the um, topic of keeping your family safe, though. I find that like even for us going to the grocery store, I went to I went to Costco last week last and week. I, yeah. I was definitely eyeing everybody suspiciously Uh, and they were eyeing me suspiciously and it was super uncomfortable. And so we're fearful enough just going to the grocery store. And I felt so mad at myself when I left going, you, you were here once out of the week and the people that work in the store come in day in and day out every single day, knock it off. And then, you know, you think about the healthcare workers that are facing this every day. So what do you, what have you done to keep your family safe, I will admit I stripped down and changed my clothes when yeah, I got home from Costco. I like, you know, <laughs> doused myself in whatever. I took a shower. Is probably I probably overdid it. But um, what have what have you been doing? And and what what do you like? Frankly, advise you know families who maybe don't have a healthcare worker in their family but are still concerned. How do you advise them to um, keep their family safe? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think it all starts with with taking care of it throughout the day. You know, I think if you're, if you're coming home and thinking of keeping your family safe from, from a healthcare worker's perspective, if you're thinking of it, when you pull into the driveway, you've probably already kind of missed the, missed the boat on, on being proactive and ahead of it and, and staying on top of it. So really throughout the day, making sure that you're making decisions that don't put yourself at risk and, and therefore putting your family at risk. So using the appropriate uh, protective equipment, washing your hands thoroughly, using the, uh, the Purell when you can as far as walking in and out of rooms, um, limiting how much you're, you're touching your face and you're touching other uh, objects around the room like that you know, the door handles and all that stuff and then and then touching your face. Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of people have learned from this is, is how much we actually touch our face um, and how much we just randomly touch things as we're walking through a room or, or through a grocery store or, or uh, you know, through any other public place. So really kind of keeping those things in mind throughout the day and, and staying on top of it. And then when you get home, if you are somebody who has come in contact with a um, with a, a, another person who may be positive or in a situation where you just don't know, um, changing the clothing and, and getting a shower is, is is absolutely appropriate. Washing your hands and and making sure that you've you've completely done that before interacting with, you know your family and, and pets and stuff like that really does go a long way in, in limiting the exposure exposure to them. I think the other part that really gets overlooked in um, the people who are, are you know, self, self-quarantining self themselves or social distance and, and, and trying to do the right thing 
is really taking care of your immune system. And I think it, paying attention to, especially in this time and, and this crisis of, you know, making sure that you're, you're doing a good job hydrating yourself, making sure that you're really on top of your nutrition, uh, exercising every day, uh, getting some good sleep, and really doing some good stress reduction activities. I mean, all of these things are going to go a long way in, in building up your immune system and keeping it strong. And if you do, for whatever reason, come in contact with the virus, that's going to be your best defense. Uh, it's funny to hear you say that because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was kind of on the, we've been talking a little bit about the negative aspect of this and how we can protect ourselves. Um, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, have you seen any good come from all this? Well, I can tell you right now that what you just mentioned kind of put a smile on my face because I feel like Emily and I, at least, um, we try to keep ourselves healthy and we exercise and keep the immune systems up and try to get good sleep. And, you know, here and there we falter, but, um, but that made me feel good because I think we're, I know that we're, I know that I'm trying to constantly keep my immune system boosted uh, for these, for those reasons, exactly that you mentioned. So again, the question I guess would be, have you seen any good come from this thus far? And uh, hopefully we'll see more come as the days and weeks go on. Yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, I looked at I, I look at that from two ways. I look at it from, you know, family and, and as a dad. And, and, you know, I think taking a step back and um, spending more time at home together and relying on each other to um, to not only entertain ourselves, but to support each other and, and get through the day has has really created a, a really cool you know, family bond and, and connection over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's, it's allowed us to get away from, you know, the four soccer games on the weekend and running all over the place, trying to get, uh, get everybody to where they need to be. And, and um, Heather and I splitting up to do, to do that and, and really kind of going through the whole weekend without having a chance to sit down as, as a family. And this has really allowed us to spend a lot of really good quality time, um, not just on the weekends, but every you know, every night when, when I get home and, and being able to sit down as a family and, and do dinner and, and go for walks around the neighborhood. And, um, you know, as you're walking around the neighborhood, it's, it's funny, everybody's keeping their, their social distance, but you know, I, I haven't seen this many people out in our neighborhood and, and connecting yeah. and talking right. and smiling and laughing since we've lived here and our neighbors have lived here since the, uh, since the eighties. And they said they, they haven't seen it since the eighties. So it, mm -hmm. it's been really neat to not only see the the change and, and the uh, positive effect that it has had on the family, but also on the uh, on the neighborhood and the community that we live, which which was relatively tight to begin with. But but now it's just expanding and everybody's really connecting in a, in a, in a really cool way. Yeah, I think that. Um it's horrible, like the circumstances you you don't necessarily want, but we always um, try to have a bit of an optimistic perspective on anything because I think mm -hmm. otherwise it can feel extremely hopeless. And I think that um, just it almost feels a little bit like a reset, like a humanity reset. That's kind of, what I was saying. You too, know, yeah. like you're seeing that the, I, I think I saw a picture of L.A. and it was like three days in a row that the smog has lifted and you can see the city and um, it just feel, it feels like an environmental reset. It feels like a, a people reset. I, I've noticed that there's so much more appreciation for the healthcare workers and other, um, you know, essential roles throughout the country across the world. And I, all of that has been really, really cool to see. Yeah, it, it, it really has been. And, and I think the other, 
the other way I look at this and, and what we might have learned from it is is from the, the scientific and, and medical perspective of it. And I, I think that there's just been so many uh, places that we've been able to kind of see some of the real strengths in our um, in our process and, and our um, in our country, the way we handle this and then also some of the weaknesses. So, you know, I really think that this is going to serve as a, uh, a really big lesson to, uh, you know, the, the government and the, uh, and the local governments, as well as the, the medical world, as far as when these things come up in the future. One, how can we be proactive and protective against them and the way they, they affect the, the globe? Um, but also, you know, how can we react to them as they spread and as they become a reality to each each part of the country? Um, because I think at the end of the day, this is something that none of us have really experienced in our lifetime and, and none of us have experienced it in, in the way that it's affecting us now. So um, we're going to walk away from this in the end with some some pretty big lessons. And, and I just hope that we take the time and, and, and effort at the end of the day to look back and and figure out what are the things we did we did right and what are the things we did wrong and and hopefully move forward uh learning from it and, and being able to uh take on the next challenges hopefully never this significant of a challenge but whatever the challenges may be in a way that we can do it a little bit better than this time is the pandemic something that not necessarily that you're you know waiting for um, or preparing for but is it something that's always like in the back of the mind of a healthcare worker that there's there's going to be this once Looming in a lifetime yeah pandemic you know I it's it's interesting I don't think it's it's something that's in every healthcare worker's day-to-day thoughts I think I think in those day-to-day thoughts, you think more of the more common things. You know, the, you, you think of the um, the heart attack, the stroke, those type of things, or even a you know bad pneumonia. Or or for us during this time of the year, we even think of a you know a real bad flu season, which which has some of the same things as far as the uh, you know contamination and and spread and and stuff like that, and taking care of the immunocompromised, but. But I think when we've thought of at least the non, um, you know, epidemiologists of, of the world, the, the people who are more just in the community and, and practicing primary care, we think of these things, but, but I don't know that we think of it as, as a global issue or even as a national issue. And this was a real big wake-up call of what happens if something does just sweep across the country like this. It's been a real long time since healthcare, you know, workers have had to think of things in that way. And this has not only showed us how it can go across the country, but it really can go across, um, you know, the economy, education, it can affect a rural community, an urban community, a suburban community. And each of those communities are affected in a little bit different way and react in a little bit different way. And, and what works in one community may not completely work in another community. So, you know, I, I don't think it's always in the back of, of our minds, but I think it, you know, it's there and now it's much more of a reality. And I think moving forward, it will be. Can you touch just real quickly on, um, you, you just mentioned that what works in one community might not work in another community. And I just want to make sure that everyone understands what that means regarding population health and some of the variances that you might see community to community and why it's so important to maybe adjust the strategy for different areas of the country. 
Yeah, I think I think that's one of the biggest things that um, that people have to understand is is, is America is in a one size uh, one shoe fits all or one size fits all uh, community. I, you have a lot of different parts of the country with a lot of different situations, whether that be cultural situations, socioeconomic situations, or um, or um, type of type of land or or uh, what what's there as far as natural. Uh, natural barriers. So really what we rely on is, is the local health department who really can kind of look at the community that they're in and assess the strengths, the weaknesses, and things that they can take advantage of or need to protect against um, when they're developing strategies for this. And they can kind of come up with ways that we can best protect the, the area that we're in. Um, sometimes, you know, Social distancing is is a little bit more of a of a re- reality in a place where you all live on um, you know quarter acre lots and people are spread out and and they can stay home and and really kind of live in that way. But when you're in a real urban setting where um, you may not be able to spread out as much and um, you have the additional issues of that size of population in that condensed of an area and needing to get to them supplies and you know, different types of things that they're going to need for an extended period of time, you, you can't always have the same approach. So you really have to rely on your on your local uh, governments and, and specialists to, to lead you as far as what's going to work for that specific area. So this is kind of a big question. So um, answer it as best you can. But what do you think uh, the COVID-19 trajectory might be? We've been getting a lot of information out of the CDC and out of, the, of government and everything and graphs and everything like that. But what do you think? I mean, are we looking for weeks, months? Yeah, I've heard 12 to 18 months for like a whole type of thing. But what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I hesitate to even say because I, I don't you know, that's not my specialty as far as being able to, to project that far what's going on, but living in my specific area, some of the things that I think are going to really affect the trajectory and the curve in my area being this close to uh, major urban settings like Philadelphia and New York, where it's, it's hitting really hard and it's having a major effect. And, and even now in a lot of the parts of, of New Jersey, um, I think that there's going to be a, a real tough transition to um, that down, downturn of the curve because not only are you dealing with your local uh, area, but then you have the areas surrounding you. And, you know, you really want to, um, you really want to take your time and hesitate from withdrawing those, those guidelines as far as social distancing and, and restricting interaction until it's it's not only cleared in your area, but it's cleared in any area around you that can affect you. So I I think it's it's really for for our area, it's not just what the trajectory and the curve looks like in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, or Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, but it's also what does that look like in Philadelphia, and what does that look like in New York and New Jersey? And um, you know, a, a lot of those places are still dealing with some numbers that are growing pretty significantly. And, and I don't know when that starts turning down uh, because of what we talked about earlier. You know, some areas are really able to make some change and, and affect the curve in a significant way, and other areas are really struggling with how can they affect the curve in a significant way. So. Um, I, I wish I could give you a, a really solid answer on that, but I, but I don't know. And, and I think at this point, there's just so many factors that are affecting it. And, 
And the other part is, is we're still learning. So there may even be factors that we haven't even uh, thought about yet that may affect it. And then you put on top of that um, treatment, if, if they're able to come up with some significant uh, treatment plans and, and process and procedures to take care of some of these people who are moderate to severely ill and, and turn that disease course around. And then you have the uh, also the, um, the uh, vaccines, if, if we're able to come up with a vaccine and start producing that, that may affect. So there's a lot of different factors to it. And, and um, I, I hesitate to say if there's a specific, you know, one, two, three week or month period of time, I think we just have to kind of stay the course and uh, follow the guidelines and do the best we can to uh, take care of ourselves, our families and our community. So before we close out, I have a few kind of quicker questions for you, but they've certainly been top of mind for me. And I know top of mind for a lot of people that um, I'm friends with or family members. Um, So one question would be, when should you be going in to see your doctor or going into the hospital? Um, And I mean that from a COVID-19 perspective, but I also mean that with regards to if you have a preventative appointment or if you have some other condition that um, you would normally go in to see the doctor, is that advisable? Are you suggesting virtual visits? What's, what's been your direction on that? That, that is a, uh, a great question, Emily. And that's something that we've been struggling since day one with um, is, you know, our goal is, is to provide the best care for our patients that we possibly can. And at the same time, keeping, uh, you know, the patient safe as well as our, our staff safe. So there's been a lot of, of conversation over, you know, who needs to come into the office and who doesn't need to come into the office. And um, I, the, uh, the um, CMS and, and the, a lot of the uh, insurance companies have really decreased their regulation on the tele, telemed visits and some of the video visits. And um, so we have been able to a lot to um, see a lot of our patients that way and alleviate stress of our patients and end of our staff as far as is bringing patients into the office to be seen. So in answer to your question, I, I, I think the first step is always contact your doctor, give them a call and, and let them know what's going on. And, you know, a lot of times we can, with a few questions, decide, is this something that needs to be seen in the, in the office because we really don't have a firm understanding of what's going on? Or is this something that we can can deal with over the phone and, and safely take care of the patient and maybe uh, push push their need for, for an office visit down the road a little bit until it's safe and, and we can bring them in when we know exactly uh, what the setting of the office will be like. For us, it's been a little bit easier being able to have two locations and separate out um, the sick visits from the, from the well visits. Um, but it, it still is something that we ask every patient who calls and, and tries to schedule an appointment. And at this point, we're calling every patient who already has an appointment scheduled for one to screen them to see if there's any change in their situation that puts anybody at risk as far as have they developed any symptoms that would be concerning. But it's also for us to kind of gauge where they're at and where their anxiety level is with coming into the office and, and what is the need for them to come into the office. And the ha- one thing that I will add to that is um, we, I was on, on call this weekend and there was three or four calls though where there were significantly ill patients who were, were sitting at home and 
you know, at times arguing with family members because they didn't want to go to the urgent care or they didn't want to go to the hospital because they were worried about having, um, you know, contact with somebody who, who may be positive for COVID-19. And, you know, I, I think it's a reasonable question to ask and, and you want to be safe. But if you're suffering from something that is, um, you know, serious in nature, a significant amount of pain or discomfort, increased shortness of, of breath, chest pain, you know, numbness, tingling, all these, these things you hear of as far as uh, red flags for cardiovascular issues, neurologic issues, you really need to still go to the emergency room to have that evaluation done. Um, but, but first, call your, call your doctor and um, check with them, let them know what's going on, and, and make sure that they can help guide you through this, this system and, and, and make sure that you're getting the care you need in a safe way that can, that can keep you healthy. Um, do you have any advice for how to talk to kids about all of this? I mean, I know we have younger kids and like the amount of times that we are yeah, saying, stop asked. picking your nose, get your hands <laughs> out of your mouth. Like I do that anyway. I'm a germaphobe. I'm mean, like, we want to, we want to, we want them to understand the seriousness of all of this. We don't want to give them nightmares. Um, so there's that category of, of, of age, but then you also have teenagers and there's a lot going on around, um, you know, how do you keep teenagers in the house and being responsible? So any suggestions that you have on that front? Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about that at home and, and with friends of ours. The, you know, I think the biggest thing is uh, the, the kids know, they know there's something going on and they know that there's something different and that the parents are, are um, stressed out about stuff that's happening and they, you know, they hear it on TV or they hear the conversations or, you know, they hear about somebody in the neighborhood who, who may be sick or, um, and they know something is going on. And, and, and so I think the, the approach has to be, you know, be honest with, with the kids, do the best you can to explain to them, uh, what's going on and, and, and the approach and really educating them about why we're doing the things we're doing. The other part of it, I think, is is letting them know that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are scared and there's going to be a lot of people who are saying things or or sharing information that may not be 100 percent true. So, you know, you want to you want to make sure that you're having those conversations uh, around the dinner table or while you're playing the, the games or while you're going for the walk that are really answering their questions and, and giving them a forum for them to come to you with the questions of, you know, what they heard the, the person down the road say, or the bus driver say, or, you know, a, a different kid say, um, and, and ask it, ask you that and run it by you and really give you a chance to, to educate them on what's going on and, and why you're making the choices that you've made as far as how we're taking care of the family and, and what that's going to look like moving forward. I, and I think, you know, that it's, it goes the same for, um, for teenagers. I think that we, we need to really kind of respect them as, as young adults and understand that they have a good, um, a good knowledge base of, of what's going on and uh, have a good access to information. And they may just need someone to really kind of bounce some of their thoughts and, and their ideas and, and all the emotions that they may be going through because, because a lot of these changes are significant changes in their lives. You know, if you're 
if you're a junior or senior in high school and suddenly you're not able to go to school every day and you may miss graduation, you know, that's a, that's a huge deal for them. So there's going to be a lot of emotion and, and frustration and, and in some cases anger. So giving them a, a forum to, to talk to you, express that and work through that is, is really important. And it gives you a chance to establish that trust level and share with them some good information. So we have two more questions for you. One is a burning question on my end. And I don't know if you feel qualified to um, advise on this, but how about ordering takeout boxes that, um, you know, have been delivered to your front step? Do you need to go and fold decontam to bring that into your house? Like, what's your <laughs> what's your thought process on that? Um, you know, how how serious could it be to to contract the the disease in that way? Yeah, so so the we've had a lot of those conversations as well, and and from what I've been able to gather from from research is is, is there's a risk uh, with contamination on inanimate objects as far as you know cardboard and metal and, and different things like that. Um, we're not sure exactly how much, and we're not sure how how effective it is as far as being able to transmit the, uh, the virus as well as, you know, what, what are the best approaches to preventing it from coming into the, into the house. So the best I can say is a lot of it needs to be driven by your comfort level. Um, I, I think that you need to honor and respect your, your comfort or, or discomfort with, with doing it. And, and then what you can do is I know there are some, um, some explanations out there as far as on uh, different websites as, as limiting the, um, transmission or the, you know, the, the virus from coming in on, on packages, as far as taking things out, you know, out of the box that they came in and, and removing that completely and, and cleaning from the, you know, from surfaces of, of other things. But, um, I can't, I can't get into specifics as far as percentages of what, how contagious they are when they come into the into the uh, in the house, and whether you should or shouldn't be be accepting certain containers. All I can say is is you, you know you want to use use gloves when you can. You want to purell after you touch something that you're not not sure who who's been handling it or where it came from. And then you want to uh, limit as much as possible what's coming into the house that um, that you don't have control over. So if you're able to take everything out of the containers before they even come into the house, and that's obviously going to limit what's coming in, coming into the house for for it to be uh, touched by the family. So as a wrap up question here, do you have uh, any recommendations on resources and tools that people can go to for COVID nineteen related questions? Yeah, I, I think for for the majority of the questions, going to the CDC website and the uh, the World Health Organization websites. Are, are a good place to start because they're going to give you guidance on social distancing and, and washing your hands and, and doing the appropriate things to keep you and, you and your family safe. But I would also recommend that people go to their local health department website. Like I said before, there, every part of the, of the country is a little bit different. So the local health department is able to really give you some guidance as far as what are key things in your area to keep an eye on and to, and to keep in mind. 
great. Well, this is super informative. I'm sure so. we're going to think of more questions. So we might, might bug you, to off, you again. Yeah, off the mics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we really appreciate your time. And um, we we definitely learned a lot. And this was yeah. extremely helpful for, for us. And we hope for everyone listening as well. So thank you. No, no problem. Thanks for having me.